All right, guys, welcome back to the Hunter's Quest podcast. This is your host, Hunter McWaters. It's great to be with you guys. Today, I have um, an awesome guest, um, probably one of the better female hunters out there. Um, you, If you guys are into outdoor TV, she's had a show on Sportsman Channel for, I think, 13 seasons now. Um, but this lady is legit. She's not just like some social media huntress. Uh, and I'm not trying to throw shade on social media huntresses, but you know, there's a lot of fakes out there. This lady, I can guarantee you, is the real deal. She's a real hunter. She's a real videographer. She's a real editor. She's a producer. She does a lot of work putting her own show together. And she's a killer, man. Uh, she's legit. So um, her show is called Winchester Deadly Passion. And uh, my guest's name is Melissa Bachman. So um, you may or may not have heard of her. If you watch any outdoor TV, you probably have. Um, but she's, like I said, a great hunter. She hunts all over the West, all over the country. Um, you know, So definitely don't discount her. She is legit. And I think you guys will enjoy this episode. We really dig into kind of the... Um, we talk shop a little bit, just kind of one producer to another. And um, it's kind of a unique sort of behind-the-scenes sort of conversation. I think you guys will enjoy um, you know, so thank you again uh, for your support. If you have not done so yet, please go vote for the film Kodiak Alpine Blacktail, my film that is in the Western Hunter Film Festival at filmfest.westernhunter.net. Please leave me a rating and a review, and if you do that, uh, if you leave me a five-star review and a written rev- five-star rating and a written review. I will send you some swag in the mail. So please do that. Um, be on the lookout for all the cool stuff I got coming down the line. And I appreciate y'all's support. So enjoy this episode with Melissa Bachman. We'll see you on the next one. All right, guys, welcome to the Hunter's Quest podcast. Um, I'm here today with my guest, Melissa Bachman. How you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for coming on. And we were just like sitting here talking shop about hard drives and computers and cameras and stuff. So I was just commenting on how how good your uh, your video shot looks. Well, thank you. <laughs> it took a little while. I've had a few uh, things that have worked and a few things that have not worked. So it's a work yeah. in progress always. Yeah, I was saying to Melissa, like even I've been surprised even with some like video guys that I do podcasts with, I get like the... Uh, up the nose webcam shot. So thanks for taking the time to set up a good shot. So if you guys are listening, go to YouTube and check out this interview because we both took time to actually do a cool looking background. So go check it out, guys. But uh, yeah, how you doing today? Everything's good. Uh, not, uh, snowy, cold, windy day in South Dakota. Can't beat it. <laughs> yeah, South Dakota. So um, are you from like Wisconsin or something? Michigan? Minnesota originally. Minnesota, okay. And then I moved here. We built our house here, and you couldn't get me out of the state for anything. This is yeah. This is my home now. <laughs> okay. How, why'd you pick that state? Um, I met my husband here. Um, okay. and He grew up here, and he's a game warden here, so he needs to kind of live oh, in this nice. area. I can live basically anywhere, yeah. um, and I just love it here. Okay. So what's the weather out there like right now? Like how cold um, is it? There's probably zero, maybe a little bit less, probably 40 mile an hour winds. And all nice. the kids had a late start this morning because it was so icy. But oh. the good news about all that is it just keeps the number of people at bay. So um, <laughs> I don't mind that one bit. Yeah. Is the hunting pretty good out that way? 
Yeah, we have excellent hunting. Um, we've got great whitetails, mule deer right here. Now we're from our house. We have elk. We have phenomenal turkey hunting, coyotes. Mm. Um, we pheasant capital of the world, basically. Um, we're in a really nice area. Yeah, and it's kind of one of those states that people don't talk about much. You probably like that. Um, <laughs> but I have actually, I've been buying points for that Custer bison hunt for a couple years now. Um, is that one, that one's pretty hard to draw, isn't it? Um, it, it takes a while. Uh, I put in for it as well. And I'm actually, I w talked with Pope and young this year, um, because I'm trying to get it where we can have the opportunity to bow hunt it. Mm. Um, the reason I don't love it is the fact that they make it be absolutely only a rifle hunt. Hmm. It would be nice for people to have the option to do bow or rifle. So, um, I talked with them about it this year. We'll see if anything changes out of it, but that is a really neat hunt. I put in for it as well. And Hopefully one of these years I'll draw. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully I will too. So but the mule, mule deer hunt is pretty good out that way too, huh? Yeah. You know, I focus primarily on whitetails cause I have quite okay. a few spots with mule deer. Um, we manage some land and live on land around here. So where we're at, we, we see a lot more whitetails. Um, but that's kind of my bread and butter. It's what I love. Um, I've got a lot of other places we mule deer hunt and sometimes we get huge muleys. I mean, a guy from town, I think shot a two twenty this year. We wow. get monsters. But they're not as, as normal as is all the white tails you see. Yeah. I think I read something about like you didn't you self film like a two hundred inch white tail hunt or something when you were first starting out? Yeah, I did a lot of self filming. <laughs> <laughs> I want I wanna jump into that because um I <clears throat> I didn't know a ton about you. I still don't know a ton about you, but I did read your Wikipedia page and I was like, Whoa, this chick is badass. <laughs> Well, thank you. So, so if you guys are, well, what originally drew me to want to do a podcast with you, I'd seen the show. I hadn't honestly watched a whole lot of like sportsman channel and stuff until I started thinking about the idea of maybe doing a show. And so I started watching and then, so your show was one of the ones I, you know, liked. It was one of the better shows on there, I think. And, um, and so I started looking at it and then I was like, and I, I was watching your show and I was like, Oh dude, she like edits her own stuff. Like, okay, this girl's legit. Not, not <laughs> girl. This woman is legit. And, uh, not that, you know, you're not legit if you don't edit your own stuff, but I respect that cause I edit my own stuff. And, um, so anyway, I thought that was cool. And then I started reading some of your background and, um, you have a really cool story. So I'd love to just like hear your story and maybe like just dig in maybe a little deeper than you have before on some of your background. Cause it's really cool. So like just tell me a little bit about growing up and your kind of early years. Well, I grew up in central Minnesota and I was so lucky because my mom and dad both loved hunting and they still joke about it to this day that the reason they took my brother and I always hunting is they just didn't want to pay for a babysitter, <laughs> <laughs> which, you know, whatever. Um, but they, they always brought us along. Um, if we went out, we would hunt with my dad in a tree stand. This was before they had like safety vests and stuff. We yeah. literally go get twine off the bench and cut enough so you could wrap it around your belly and tie yourself to the <laughs> tree. probably do more damage than good. <laughs> probably sitting on the base of a tree stand that's homemade. Yeah. Um, but you know, that's the kind of stuff we did on the weekends. We hunted public land. We went duck hunting. Um, Minnesota finally had started a youth weekend. And I remember my dad was working. My mom took us out and it's just those kind of memories going out. I just love to hunt. And, you know, I honestly, I didn't, we didn't watch hunting shows. Mm -hmm. I didn't even really know they existed. Um, so when I got older and graduated, I went to college. I actually went and um, was a pole vaulter and track athlete yeah. um, at St. Cloud State University. And 
I just I read one thing about like you're you're just backing up a little bit. Your parents like signed some kind of form so you could like go to high school. Tell me about that. Yeah, that is true. So I forgot about that. So we grew up in a small town and I just love to hunt. That's all I wanted to be doing. So my senior year, I had enough credits. I could have actually graduated early, um, but I didn't. And so I had like pottery and some other classes, but my parents signed a form that I could have a work permit. So the first two hours of the day, I didn't have to be at school and I could go deer hunting. (laughs) <laughs> and they said uh, Melissa was uh, providing food for the family. That was my job. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, it reminds me, like, some of that stuff reminds me of when I was growing up, too, because, um, like, one of my best memories of my grandparents was, like, um, my parent, my dad was out of town for opening weekend of bow season, and I was, like, just, like, oh, I was, like, devastated. My grandparents were babysitting or whatever. So, I mean, I was only, like, 14, 13. And so they actually, like, drove me out in their minivan out and, like, dropped me off in the woods and, like, let me go for it. And then when I was in high school, we had a rotating block schedule. So, like, I think every other week for, like, two days out of the week, I had two hours of, like, study hall first. And our school lets you, you know, come late when you were a senior. So, yeah, I remember, I remember like, hunting those. And, and one day, like, my mom loves telling the story, like, you know, she met me in like this parking lot across from the school and I was like handing her a gun and like bloody clothes and I had like a deer in the back of my truck and stuff. So it's, it's kind of funny. Well, it kind of shows the dedication and the love for it, right? Because like, that's all I wanted to do. I just wanted to hunt all the time. I I had no idea how to make a career out of it. Mm. Um, I just wanted to find a way to hunt 365 days a year. That was my goal. And going into college, like a lot of the counselors, they're not exactly going to be like, oh, that's an awesome idea. You're we right. have a major for that, right? Right. Like, there, there is nothing. Yeah. Um, so what I decided to do is kind of look at like what type of skills that I could use that would be helpful. And I wanted to learn to be a good writer. I wanted to learn to be an editor. Um, originally, I actually was either going to be like, I want to do maybe the NFL sidelines or, oh, cool. you know, something in the entertainment industry. I wasn't sure. So and you were drawn so I went, to like TV and broadcast yeah, and stuff already. I love public speaking. I love working with people. Um, I loved editing. I actually did a thing in high school where you just edited photos to music, right? Hmm. And I thought it was the coolest thing. And I think we were supposed to make like a one minute reel. And I made like a 23 minute reel. <laughs> and uh, the lady was like, geez, uh, yeah, I guess that'll work. <laughs> Nice. But I just, I really enjoyed it. And I loved like the telling of the story and all that part. Mm. So I thought, well, we'll see how this pans out. And if all that failed, um, my backup plan was to become an anesthesiologist. Totally different. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that was kind of my idea on it. And so I went and got a double major in television production in Spanish. And my yeah. goal with that was to be able to come out and find a job. And when I graduated, I what had- was the thinking uh, behind the Spanish part? Um, I'll be honest with you. The funny part there is to be in the honors program, you had to take one year of foreign language. So I got there and the professor I had, I took my year and he said, you know, you might be smart. This is not for you. This, you just don't have what it takes to do Spanish. Um, I would recommend just definitely moving on from this. And I said, there's no one who's going to tell me I can't do something. He's like, oh, great. And I said, no, I said, to prove him wrong. Right. And so honestly, uh, 99% of that was, yes, it would be helpful, but it was, I'm not going to have someone tell me I can't do something. Right. And I said, no, that's ridiculous. There's no way I can't learn. And he said, well, if you are really serious about it, what you need to do is go immerse yourself in, in these other cultures. And I said, okay, what do I need to do? So I went 
And I just picked up and I moved to Costa Rica. Oh my God. And I lived with a family and I just did it all by myself. I got off the plane. I did it through the university, like with the credits, but I knew nobody. And this family had a little sign with my name on it. And okay, there I was. And I lived with them for, gosh, I don't remember. It was either three months or six months. Um, Nobody spoke English. I went to school the whole time. I got like 18 or 21 credits down there. It was a lot. I came home and then finished my Spanish and he was super impressed. And then to get my degree, I had to do some big papers and stuff. So I actually moved to Spain for a year and I lived in Barcelona and finished everything up there. And I came back and I handed that same professor my paper and I said, see, don't ever tell someone they can't do something. (laughs) That's amazing. Um, And were you still doing pole vaulting in college as well? In okay. college, I did some. Yes, not now though. I'm done. Oh right, right, right. My well, pole vaulting I mean... career is over now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's um, another like just kind of really unique uh, sport, um, kind of adventurous. Well, I like guess. with track, if you think about it, what I liked about it is like, okay, so you could get people from the football team, you get guys come in, and they could come and do sprints, and sometimes they could outrun the people who have been practicing forever, right? Because they're yeah. just naturally fast. The thing about pole vaulting is nobody's going to come in right. and just beat you because they're athletically superior to you, yeah. right? It's so much about the dedication and your work ethic that brings it back. So I think that's why I always liked it is I thought, you know, this is something, of course, it takes great athletic ability as well, right. but more of it is mental and practice. And I really like that about it. Um, so I think that's kind of all the things I've ever done. I've always kind of gone down the road of, yeah, that might not be the easiest way, but um, if I can outwork people and, and push harder, um, you can be successful. And that's kind of the things I choose. Yeah. And do you still do, do you still do like some kind of athletics at all? Or like, you know, do you go to the gym or anything like that or run nothing. or nothing? Nothing. <laughs> nothing. Wow. I work out um, by hunting, right? Like I carry okay, yeah. too much stuff. I'm packing things in and out. I hunt. Yep nonstop. Um, I see people that are in the gym and doing all this stuff. That's great. No big deal. Um, that's not me. I'm out in the field carrying stuff. I mean, I'm still probably as strong as I was then, nice. but it's just all from natural things that happen in the field. Yeah. Um, at some point I'm going to probably have to go back to a gym. <laughs> um, cause I just eat whatever I want and just live life. Um, but I've been lucky. Um, yeah. that won't last forever. So I right. might as well milk it out while I can. Well, I'm not as lucky as you. I have to train my butt off because I'm from like pancake flat coastlands and I go out and do all these mountain hunts and I, and I just realized like a long time ago, I was like, if I'm going to film hunts, like I'm just going to have the heaviest pack of anyone and they're just going to have to get used to it. So I just, I train super hard, but, um, but that's, that's cool. That's cool that you can just kind of, well, you can spend a lot of time out there too. Yeah. You know, for, I think it was almost five years straight. I spent uh, 320 days a year. Um, so that is a huge chunk either in the field (laughs) or out doing shows and uh it's it's a lot a lot of time so it's not like a little side gig where you pick it up you know august through november it's a lot more than that of course so okay so um you're in college you did the spanish thing and then you tell me about you did you said broadcast journalism or something yes Mm -hmm. okay and then transitioning from that into did you know what you wanted to do at that point or still trying to figure it out? Or? Well, I was still trying to figure it out. So a lot of like if you go into the news, it's based on like uh, they give it a rating like as to how popular or how many people see it. Right. So I wanted to be at a news station that was pretty good. I didn't want to be at a tiny little place. Yeah. So I went through and I picked 74 locations. 
And some were like hunting based production type things. Cause I had kind of come into that. That might be a possibility. The others were like newsrooms as producers, as on-air talent, whatever. Sent out 74 resume reels, got 74 no's. <laughs> and I remember thinking, what have I done? Like I just graduated with honors. I thought I'd have like literally every one of these yeah. guys offered me a job. And Very competitive. Like, yeah, like, wow, what, where would I want to go? And instead I got zero. And I was like, well, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, that was, it was really good for me, honestly. So what I decided to do is look back at that list and I picked out the number one spot where I wanted to work at the time. It was called the North American hunting club. Um, they, they did hunting type television, fishing. They had all these different clubs that they produced videos for as well. And I wasn't trying to get a position as like an on air person. I was just literally trying to get a position as an editor. Yeah. And um, I called there and they they were not interested. And I said, here's the thing. Will you hire me if I come, <clears throat> excuse me, will you hire me if I come work for free? And the thing I learned is nobody's going to turn down free labor, right? Yeah. So they're like, well, when can you start? I said, tomorrow. <laughs> they said, what can you do? I said, I can do anything. I can edit, I can produce, I can log tapes, I can sweep the floor. Just yeah. give me a chance. Give me my foot in the door. Um, so they did. They gave me that opportunity. And I was able to work with five or six super experienced producers that all kind of really helped me. And, you know, a lot of it, they probably felt bad that I was there working every day, yeah. 100% for free. I drove 150 miles a day back and forth wow. for that free job. And then I had a waitress at night because I still had to pay rent and pay for yeah. my gas to get down there. So, so I was really lucky to have like a good group of people kind of help because you only learn so much in college. You know, you need that real sure. world experience, which is why nobody wanted to hire me. Yeah, that's so cool. Um, So when you got those 74 no's, <laughs> I think I already know the answer to this, but just to hit it again, did that cause a kind of questioning like what like? am I doing the right thing? Do I need to go, you know, try to be an anesthesiologist or is it like that Spanish teacher and you're just like, oh, I'm going harder. No, I think <laughs> I definitely thought of it as I need to rework how I'm doing this. I just thought if you came in not wanting to be like the on-camera person, everybody would hire you. Yeah. So instead I just looked at it as what is something I can provide that they're just going to say yes to, right? Like, yeah. And I thought, well, free labor, right? Everybody wants free work. Yeah. And so that's kind of the route I went. And, you know, it's a challenge because I didn't want to be working for free. I mean, sure. I just got done with college. I had tons of bills and loans and everything else. And I'm living in a terrible little place, like a basement closet, basically. Yeah. Um, and, you know, just going back and forth, that that was not ideal. But when you really want something, you're willing to do whatever it takes to make it happen. And I thought, well, that's what I need to do to get my foot in the door. Then I can prove myself to them and prove what a hard worker I am. They obviously can't see it on paper, so I needed to show them. Yeah. No, that's so cool. I think that's something that, like, is kind of lost these days, like, um, and there's that humility is just really important. I mean, I think, and not to be like the old crusty grandpa, like, oh, this generation, blah, blah, blah. but I do see a lot of younger folks and I've even had this mentality before too. I kind of got through it, but, um, that are like not willing to not only work for free, but even work for like less than they think, you know? Um, but having that humility and, and the drive and knowing what you want, to get in there and be willing to do, like you said, do anything to get your foot in the doors is, is so big. 
Well, and you need to be able to understand that, yeah, this is not ideal. This is not what I wanted. I did not go to college for four years and have all these loans to come work for free. But you got to look at the big picture, right? Like this is just a stepping stone to get where Mm -hmm. I want to be. And I always believed in my heart that nobody was going to stop me. It just was a matter of time. And I was someone who was always trying to push it to be faster, right? Like I didn't necessarily like the process, just like anybody doesn't. Like I didn't want to be the low man there that just has to do all the grunt work and, you know, but, but I knew that's the only way to start. Um, And actually I was just thankful to have a chance. Um, And I think that's important sometimes too, is to be grateful for it because that goes a long way, right? Nobody wants to work with someone who's like mad that they're in that spot. You're a lot better off being grateful and being like, you know what, I'm going to soak up everything I can and I'm just going to just keep going and nobody's going to be able to stop me. Um, but in the meantime, I'm going to do the very best work I can, even though I didn't have the knowledge or the skill set those other producers had. They saw that that drive and, and being grateful, then they helped me more, too. So that helps a lot. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I think that's great. Too. And also, I think a huge part of that, too, is like you said, you know, I know I'm going to make it. No, nothing's going to stop me um, and seeing the bigger picture. And I think that's having that, that faith in yourself and, um, and for me, faith in God too, but, um, just having that faith that like, it's going to work out if I just keep working hard. It's even like a macrocosm for like a hunt. Like if you just, you just know like, okay, I got 10 days, even though it looks like impossible now, if I just keep glassing, keep hiking, keep going day to day, it's going to probably work out in the end. And you know what? Sometimes they don't. And sometimes that's that's better. Um, You just all I can ever say is like when anything finishes, whether it's a hunt, whether it was a job, whatever it is, I gave it everything I had. I never want to look back and have any regrets like I could have pushed myself a little harder Mm. or I could have done this. No, I did everything possible. And if it didn't work out, guess it wasn't meant to be. It's just the way it is. And I really feel like that kind of gives you a peace of mind a little bit, too, whether you're on hunts or whatever. I mean, that's all you can do is your very best. And beyond that, I look back at some of those first shows I edited and I'm like, oh, my goodness, those are terrible. But (laughs) at the time, it was literally I was so proud of them. I just thought they were amazing. And that's all you can ask, right? Like, of course, you're going to improve. Of course, you should look back at those shows and they'd be almost cringeworthy, in my opinion. Um, But that means you've improved. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so I know you already said it, but this, this first show that you were working on, um, what, what was that? Was it a show or a group of, uh, a media group? So it was was called the North American hunting club. So they had all sorts of different shows and things going on. And I was just an editor and a producer there. Um, but I was giving like different tasks to go film hunts for people. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I learned to be a cameraman Then I'd come back and I'd edit their footage and put it together for a hunting show. Um, some people were very nice and kind to me. Some people were very much not. <laughs> yeah. And um, it, it also kind of reminds you, I mean, you want to always treat people the exact same. Like I try to be so nice to anybody in the field. One, I've been there um, and I know what it's like and you're all on the same team. Things go wrong. Nobody's trying to mess it up. Right. Sure. But also, you know, it's it's just a personality thing. I'm not someone who would ever want to be rude to someone else. But some yeah. people, they're just not as nice. And the good news is it probably gave me the thickest skin you could ever ask for. Um, and I think that's helpful, too, because you, you, know, you can't be super work. weak in this industry. Yeah. Yeah, you got to have thick skin. You got to be able to take criticism and improve. Um, 
And so, so you learned editing in college, but you learned the camera work kind of on the fly. And I'm assuming this is back in the day of like ginormous XD cams with like 20 pound Anton Bauer batteries, right? Yes. So, um, and we did some of it in college, but it's never quite the same, right? Sure, like you yeah. have different equipment, different ways to do it. Um, but yeah, they were not like a simple point and shoot camera. They were yeah. huge. huge. And I remember being so worried on some hunts. Like I didn't know what ATW was once. I still remember the first hunt <laughs> I went on and I'm like, Oh, this little thing. I, it was just out of white balance. <laughs> um, but I didn't know. Right. Yeah. And I was so worried that I might've messed up all the footage. Cause I didn't know what it was. And yeah. I don't know, like you couldn't just like Google it on that camera and figure it out. Like you uh -uh. could do now and get to the bottom of it. Um, it was not that simple. Yeah, and then not to mention, like, you know, when you're learning and even when you're working at, like, a news station and stuff and it's very, you know, sterile, like, set up interviews and stuff like that. I mean, that's very different from capturing a hunt. Yeah. I mean, where anything can happen at any moment and there's adverse conditions and crazy stuff going on. Yeah, and, you know, you're packing all that weight. I'm not that big a person, right? Yeah. So you got huge packs of batteries. You're trying to keep up. Um, I didn't have the right gear, right? Um, that's a problem. Uh, I didn't have the money to buy it, right? So I was just using old stuff that was brutal, bad boots, bad clothes, bad everything. And that makes things a lot more difficult. And I think sometimes it's easy for people to forget what that's like when you have literally the bare necessities trying to get through it. Yeah. It makes life a lot more difficult. Was that primi primarily whitetail hunts you were doing at that point? No, or? all sorts of hunts. Um, okay. Elk hunts, antelope, whitetail, oh, wow. bear, um, all over the place. I remember so you're not just being, sitting in a tree stand. I mean, you're really going after it. Yeah, yeah. We And it was a big variety, you know. And even when you are in a tree stand, you had to set up these huge camera arms. And I still remember I lost a piece to one of the camera arms on a hunt. And I was walking out there in the bottom. So a, when a tripod goes in, it screws the bottom and it holds your tripod tight to a yeah. camera arm. I lost that bottom piece somewhere. Uh, so for the entire day from dark to dark, I had to hold my hand on the bottom of that <laughs> with this giant camera bracing it all day. And obviously it does not make for good footage and makes yeah. for a very uncomfortable sit, but things like that, like you don't make that mistake twice. <laughs> you learn. It's so funny. Like everything you say, I just keep thinking of like, parallels in my own experience and story like there was just when i was a brand new cameraman at this news department i was in i was on a shoot with one of the biggest producers in there and i forgot my tripod plate so i literally was like had the camera i didn't tell anyone either i was just like pretending mm -hmm. it was everything was fine i was holding it on the thing like trying to get these shots and stuff um but um did you have a lot of folks that were like like really skeptical because you're a woman and we're like, Oh gosh, like Melissa. Oh geez. Like, and kind of like that kind of stuff. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. I had it coming from, you know, places we would go, the outfitters guides would see and be like, cause there weren't any girls that were cameramen then I didn't <laughs> yeah. know of anybody. Yeah. And they're like, Oh, what kind of a problem is this going to be? Is she going to be yeah. high maintenance? Is she a pain? Little did they know I'm way low maintenance and way less of a problem than 99% of the hunters that their clients. Yeah. <laughs> right. They show so, up all out of shape and stuff. There's that. And then, you know, some of the guys weren't thrilled to have a young cameraman and I get it right. Like, cause nobody wants someone who's inexperienced in the field. Um, but sorry, I'm what you get. So let's make the most of it. And I think, you know, you, you get to help people. And, and the biggest thing is being a team out there because we're all on the same page. Like I've had guides who would like try to pull the hunter ahead and like try to get them to shoot the animal quick. And I've pulled them aside and said, listen, they're not going to shoot if I'm not filming them. So we all have to be on yeah. the same page and get there. 
And um, and I think sometimes people need to be reminded of that, you know, like we're not going to yeah. pull apart and uh, this is the way it's going to be. This is a job um, yeah. for everybody. I mean, producing a hunting show is different from just filling a tag. I mean, there's, you know, um, and hopefully you can document it as, um, you know, as much as possible just as it goes down. But at the same time, like you said, like you have to realize that, like, we're making a show here. Mm -hmm. Um do you have any like one or like one like really bad screw up like maybe you just completely missed a kill shot or something like that that sticks out in your mind? Um, no, not that. But I do remember being on the top of a mountain filming an elk hunt, uh -huh. and I get altitude sickness, which I was not aware of. Um, but it was terrible. And so instead of like being like, "Hey, she's pretty sick," like throwing up the whole time, Oof. maybe we should go down. We went like two or three thousand feet higher, um, ah. which was just great that's so like dangerous like, yeah but it probably was not a good move. <laughs> and i didn't get any say in the matter right nobody's asking my opinion and i remember going over to the edge and trying to get like a cool scenic shot and it was uh a, one of those huge cameras but it was one of the only ones that we had that had an interchangeable lens and apparently uh. i had either bumped something or something <laughs> happened and i'm standing over the edge and the whole lens fell off <laughs> And this is like a $60,000 lens that just dropped oh off the edge gosh. and starts bouncing down and luckily didn't roll all the way. And Look nobody those really giant Fujinon lenses. They're like oh, this long. It was huge. It had yeah. doublers in it and it was just monster and way front heavy. Yeah. And I remember looking around and I don't think anyone even noticed. And I went and grabbed it and like cleaned it up and I was able <laughs> to get it back on. Nice. And I didn't even know it came off to be totally honest. Like I didn't even know yeah. how that happened. And I was just thinking, oh, because that Did was you have a backup lens. lens? Oh, no, that was your only. That was the only one. No, that was the only one <laughs> wow. they sent me with. And I'm goodness. like, oh, they will kill me. But luckily, it kind of worked out okay. Yeah. Still a little. Good scary. thing you're able to find it. Um, so then, you know, at what point did you start kind of going from? You know, oh, geez, we got this this chick tagging along and working for free and all. So when did it start to kind of change? Like, okay, this this lady is legit. Well, so I worked for free for four months. After okay. those four months, they actually offered me the original position I applied for, cool. which was pretty awesome yeah. um, because it was a lot higher pay scale than a lot of the other jobs I applied for. And before I just, I wasn't qualified for it, but they had realized that, you know, I was a good fit for this job. Yeah. So I got the job and the very first thing I did is moved in next door to the facility. <laughs> <laughs> I was so sick of driving 150 miles a day. So I got an apartment next door and I didn't have enough money to like have an apartment on my own. So I asked him if anybody there needed a roommate and this random girl needed a roommate. So I just moved in with the person I never knew. Um, so that was <laughs> great, but at least it saved me half the rent. Yeah. Um, and I lived there for quite a while, actually almost probably four years, I think. And it took four years of being a producer, editing, filming everyone else's shows and I still was never offered any type of an on-camera position. But what I did is if I worked 30 days straight, they gave me what they called five days of comp time. So I would basically take those days and put them together and go film a hunt somewhere. And again, I didn't have any money to like offer people money to pay, but mm. I would trade out like a video production type thing. So I would mm. film their lodge and the place I was working wouldn't let me use their camera equipment. So I saved up any money I had to buy mediocre camera equipment. Yeah. And then I would go on these hunts. I'd edit them, get an animal and, and film the whole thing either by myself or asking an outfitter or a guide or someone to help me. 
put it all together. And then I would just wait till someone didn't have a show ready on a Friday afternoon <laughs> when it's time to ship them. Nice. And I'd be like, well, guys, I got this one cut to time, literally on tape, ready to ship out if you want to use it. And they started using them. And then all of a sudden my shows were airing on TV and I shot, you know, some nice animals. And then all of a sudden a few of the sponsors started calling and saying, Hey, you got any more from that Melissa? And they're like, Oh no, no, no. She's just, she's a cameraman. Don't mind her. <laughs> and they're like, no, we like her. And actually Matthews was one of the first people that had me come out when they came out with the women's bow. Oh, and cool. I was there with Tiffany Lakoski and Samantha Morgan and Candy Kiske. And we had a group of us. And that was nice. kind of like my first chance for someone to ask for me. And then after that, I just kept making my own shows and eventually broke away and started my own production company. Um, okay. So I could begin doing it all myself. So back, you know, back in the day when you're like starting off at this, at this show, um, did you already at that point, like have the dream of having your own show and production company one day, or you still hadn't quite formulated all that yet? Oh yeah. I definitely knew that's what I wanted, but I also knew that I didn't have anybody like bankrolling me. Right. So yeah. I knew that I needed to learn every single aspect to produce a television show. I wanted to ensure I could do every part of it so that if I was able to break away, that I couldn't hire somebody, I could do all of it. And that's exactly what I did. Um, I would put in, I don't even know how many weeks, over 100 hour weeks, because I did every single portion of it. And that's what I wanted. So like, I wouldn't say I was really like unsettled being there. Um, I was, again, thankful that I had a job, but two, trying to soak in everything, learning um, you know, having the other guys who are good producers watch my shows and say, here's things you could improve on. Here's how to make it better. Um, watching mm -hmm. the sales guys sell the shows as to what worked, what didn't, um, those type of things. So that way someday I could do all those pieces. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so yeah, I see like this, <clears throat> this kind of theme, you know, like in your life story of, um, which is very similar to me, like kind of this extreme personality, like, oh, you think I can't speak Spanish? I'm going to move to Costa Rica. Uh, you know, like I'm going to do track. Well, I'm going to do the craziest, like hardest thing, pole vaulting. Um, and then, you know, going hard in your career and, and just being able, being willing to just work 100-hour weeks for four months for free. Um, and I kind of have a little bit of that. And it can be a blessing. It can also be a curse sometimes if you're not careful. But have you seen that in your life, uh, that kind of extreme personality? Oh, yeah. And There's how have you no been question. able to like channel that into a positive way? Or has it ever been negative for you? Oh, yeah. I mean, I remember even as a kid, my brother, we were joking about getting tattoos. And he said, you should get something called the extremist, like in some sort of writing on your arm. Yeah. And I never really thought about it until you just said that. I remember him saying that. Uh, but yeah, there's 100%. The hard part is, is you can get so focused and dialed in that you literally forget about everything else, right? Like, yeah. so you put blinders on. So for 10 years, I mean, I missed every family event. I didn't do any of those type of things, right? I was just 100% focused on my career. And really the thing that kind of got me to take a breath and realize there's more than just a job is uh, my little dog pork chop. I started bringing her along. And for once there was like someone else that was like, waiting on me or, you know, excited to see me and, and come along on these yeah. trips. And it really made the difference. And people joked, oh, as soon as you get a dog, you're going to have a family and kids next. And I thought, yeah. <laughs> and it's true. I ended up with that now. And it's just so nice. But it is true. You have to learn to kind of channel that um, because you can go too far one way or another and um, and just get 
too focused, which seems kind of crazy to say, but it's true. You got to look at the yeah. big picture and keep everything balanced. I think that's the best way to say it. And I've gotten a yeah. lot better at that as I got older. Yeah. That's the key word. There's balance and that can be hard. Um, but yeah, you gotta, you gotta find a balance there. Um, but I think in the beginning, had I been more balanced, I wouldn't have been able to exactly. be successful. So that's what I'm like, saying. It's a blessing and a curse. Sometimes you gotta right. be unbalanced to get it done. <laughs> There's no other way. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't have lived a balanced lifestyle and accomplished what I wanted. It wouldn't have happened. Yeah. Um, Too much so, balance is boring. I mean, come on. So luckily <laughs> I did that then and now I can enjoy the balanced lifestyles much better. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I got to ask pork chop. Did you watch the cartoon Doug as a kid? No. Oh, okay. Nope. Well, I know you're pretty close to my age and there's a cartoon when I was a kid called Doug and he had huh. a dog named Porkchop. Really? No, yeah. I did not know that. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Um, okay. That took me completely off my train of thought, but okay. <laughs> so you start your, uh, so, so sponsors start to see your stuff. Like, Oh, who's this Melissa? And they start to ask for you. And then at what point did you say it's time to make the, the jump and, and go out on your own? And, and was, what was that like? Was it scary? Yeah, it really was scary. Um, I don't remember exactly how it all happened. I just remember that I felt I had enough shows to make uh, a full season. I needed 13 episodes and I had 13 in the can ready to go. Hmm. The hard part is, is you can't get airtime without money, right? Mm -hmm. And you can't get money without sponsors. Mm -hmm. And no one wants to sponsor you if you don't have an airtime spot, right? Yeah. So I was like, this is a really difficult circle to try to enter without having any money. Yeah. So I secured my airtime spot by putting my house up as collateral. Wow. So like you got a loan, it was, basically? It was basically I had a truck and a house. That's all I owned. Well, I mm -hmm. didn't own the house. I had a townhome, right, that it was somewhat paid, but not that much. Mm -hmm. I had to put all of it on the line to get that spot. And then once I had that spot, now I could go out and kind of try to get those sponsorships started. And before you ask people for money, I've obviously had done four years worth of work just out of the goodness of my heart and tried to build these brands. Mm -hmm. I only went to the people I had been using, but it's one thing to be like, oh, you're, you're great to have. We'll put you on video and a whole nother to be like, oh, here's a check. Right. Yeah. So making that transition is hard. And I made some huge mistakes when I first bought my airtime, bought all the commercial inventory, which mm. you should never ever do. Mm -hmm. Um, and I just was convinced I could sell all of it and I was going to make good money. Well, I did not. Um, I didn't <laughs> sell anything close to all of it. Yeah. And I probably went in the red for seven years straight, I think, because I think the IRS only lets you do seven years. So I remember <laughs> being like, I really have to turn a profit somehow. Um, but the good news is, is I had the production side. So even though for me, the television show kind of was a black hole that was eating up money, I would do um, things totally off the wall uh, as production things that I'm not in just for these different companies and, and build videos for them. And that's kind of what saved me. Plus I had no payroll, right? It was all me. Yeah. So all my money, my mom is a big accountant and she would always be interested as to how I would project how things were going to go for the year. And I literally told her the truth. I said, I just try to bring in as much money and I hunt until it's gone. And I come home when I run out of money. And so she you're is the uh, worst business model <laughs> I have ever heard of. <laughs> so that, it, that's hilarious. But you're funding. So you're so the the show is pretty much a black hole in the beginning. But you're 
like you're surviving and funding creating the show by doing these other production projects for companies is that what you're saying Mm-hmm. And and I wasn't in them like it had nothing right. to do with me. It was just pure editing or pure filming and editing and, and putting things together. Mm-hmm. It was just those extra type of projects that I knew I could make some money on um, that would help pay for the other stuff. And a lot of it, too, is, you know, anybody who offered me a free hunt back then, I would take it. Um, I was all about trying to do as many hunts as possible and it got very expensive and it wasn't always that high of a percentage rate. So I kind of learned over time too, that you got to be a little bit more picky and you got to be really careful with your time and your money that you're, you're spending it wisely because nobody's really over you telling you how to do it. Right. I would just have the money coming in and it'd be my decision as to how I'm going to spend it. And I didn't always do it wisely, but I was learning and trying my best at it. Yeah. Um, any other like, you know, um, things that I know you said like that commercial inventory thing, which I found that out too. And I was like reading through my contracts, like, Oh, if I like tell them 90 days before, I don't have to pay for all this. And so that was like, bing. Um, but any other things that you kind of, um, learned over the course of years of production, um, that stand out? Well, I think one of the biggest things is I'm not a born salesman, right? Like that's not my area of expertise, but if you want to be a good salesman, you put everything on the line and you need to make it happen. Um, You learn quickly. Um, And I think it also helped because people learn that there's no middleman in here, right? It's just me and them talking. If I tell you I'm going to deliver this many things, there's nobody who's going to like mess it up in the middle. That's what you're going to get. So I think that helped me in the beginning. Um, And it was really only out of necessity because I didn't have anyone else to help me and I couldn't pay them. And now I still do that same exact business model, but I do it for a reason is because now people know they work directly with you. You're the one who's making the plans. You're the one who's telling it how it's going to be. And I'm the one that's going to say, you know what? We way over delivered. Um, or if they're not happy about some, I'm the one that they're going to come to. So I think that's actually been a huge benefit. Um, and it just happened by accident, really. Yeah. How long was it before, um, you know, you got to the point to where sponsor, it was easier to get people to write that check and not like, you know, constant uphill battle. It's never that way. (laughs) It's always (laughs) like, I really believe that like every year, no matter what you think you've got people just locked in, you've done everything you could do for them. You just hold your breath and hope that everything works out because this is a business that could literally fall apart at any point in time, right? The gun industry, the archery industry hits hard times. The first thing these companies are going to do is cut their marketing budgets. Mm -hmm. And that's what they do. And my goal has always been, even if they do cut those marketing budgets, I want to be the last person standing. They may have to cut everybody, but I want to be the last person standing and knowing that, you know, I really over-delivered for them, that I will still be there. So, I mean, of course, as you do it, it's probably easier as the years go, but I'm still every year worried, did I do enough? Did I over-deliver enough? Um, Are they going to re-sign? You don't know. Um, So, that I don't think that ever goes away. <laughs> I really <Yeah>. don't. <laughs> um, so you got that to look forward to. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, so I know you still edit your own stuff. Um, is that <clears throat> kind of going back to that business model you were talking about? Or is that just because you just really love to edit still? 
Um, so what I've done is I've gotten a little smarter about it, right? So I only have so much time. I can't be working right. 100 hour weeks. I have a family. I don't sure. want to be working 100 hour weeks. Mm -hmm. So what I did for a while, I had a full time editor who was helping me. Um, and then I ended up moving away from that. And what I have now, which works great, is a guy, um, it's Voicey Productions. He does um, just a phenomenal job. Dave Voicey's out of Ohio, and he will edit segments for me. So I will send him like a drive of full shows. And so he'll put that kind of framework together for me and send it back. And then I finish them. Um, mm -hmm. I don't do it for all the shows, but I do it so that way I don't compromise all my time into yeah. editing those full episodes because they take a long time. And sometimes yeah. I've found it's nice to have a fresh set of eyes on footage oh, that I've sure. lived through. Yeah. And then I take it back. I'll sometimes make tweaks. I still build the whole show together. Um, but what it does is it allows me to have a little bit more downtime to be more creative, to come yeah. up with ideas, um, <laughs> to do small projects that don't involve all my time. Because if I'm editing every show and I'm doing 20, 26 a year, I don't have time to literally think about anything else. So what yeah. I've learned is by kind of farming that out, then it allows me to have a breath of fresh air and to come up with ideas that can in turn make my show better, make me more money, whatever it may mm -hmm. be, uh, make me more successful in the field is ultimately the goal. Yeah. yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> yeah, you definitely have to like um, be wise with your time um, because – you know, for me, it's easy because I, I really enjoy the editing process for the most part. Um, if it's, you know, hunts that I did myself especially. And it's easy to just kind of be like, just, just block out everything and just like get my little world of editing. But then it's like, oh, dude, like I have to like make sure I have tags and airplane tickets and stuff for like the next season. I have to be following up with these companies about trying to get some support. I Like I have to like have some sort of processes with my like accounting and insurance and all yeah. that BS. Like, so you have to be very careful about stuff. It's, um, and it's a blessing because I genuinely love this, um, as uh, obviously you do too, but, um, it's still a lot of work. People, people think, I think maybe they look at you or, or even me to some extent like, Oh, you know, they just, they just get to hunt and just like, they're so lucky and whatever. It's a ton of work too. And, and that the, the hunting season when you're out there creating the content, it's still work too, but that's kind of like almost like the reward, mm -hmm. um, of all this work you did the rest of the year. And you got to always stay on the ball. You have to be super organized. Mm -hmm. um, I book all my travel, every all the tags, all that kind of stuff has to be in order. Like when mm -hmm. I book a trip, I don't leave any piece of it. So I get my hotel, I get my car, I get my flight, the whole thing. And I try to do it almost like you would pool, right? So like I leave my vehicle where I'm coming to next, right? Yeah. So like I might fly out of Rapid, I might fly out of Denver. So that way when I come home, I'm that much closer to the next one. And you have to be smart again with your time, um, but you have to stay on the ball with stuff. Like if you get too focused where you're just looking at like the editing, yeah. all those other things, nobody's going to do it. Right. So yeah. what I've learned is I can hire someone who's a true professional. Um, he does a phenomenal job. And then I can make sure all those other things don't go unnoticed. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and you got to kind of find like what things can only I do and what things can others do just as well if I find the right person. And it takes a while. Mm -hmm. um, it really does. But that's something that I decided like 
it's smarter for me to not do every episode from start to finish yeah. because other things get left behind. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like yesterday I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm editing and I'm like, especially like, you know, coming from a non-resident, especially from the East coast, like adding a lot of logistics and, um, and I'm trying to do at this point, um, all my stuff is kind of DIY public land type stuff. So I'm sitting here editing. I'm like, dude, I got to freaking start e-scouting for bear season or I'm not going to have a place to go bear hunting. Like there's just like, which is cool because like now it's like actually, you know, e-scouting is like kind of part of my job, which is like a blessing. But at the same time, like you got to do it. Mm-hmm. Like no one's going to like tell me, Hey, go to this spot. There's bears right. there, you know? <laughs> well, and the good news now, so you don't have to do work permits anymore, right? For film permits for through all the national so forest and public it de- land. It depends. I, I had a lengthy conversation with Wyoming and Montana BLM offices and um, told them exactly what I'm doing. And they're like, you're good. You're fine. You fall under like casual use basically. Mm-hmm. And they even sent it to me in writing. Um, there are other types of designated areas that have different rules and different states and stuff like that. But um, even for some of the wilderness areas, there's been a, a court case recently that has kind of shaken things up a little, and um, it's kind of a gray area. I think they intentionally want it to be a gray area because I think if if it was pushed in the courts really hard, I think they would lose in terms of I'm talking about the, the wilderness folks and trying to get you to get permits. So I think they want it to be gray. But um, I know it's always yeah. been like a huge time-consuming process. Yeah. Every time I go, I've bought all the film permits. And literally, if you don't do it six months ahead of time, they're like, we can't get to this. And I'm like, I just found out that I drew this tag yesterday. Yeah. Like, like, this is as fast as I can go. And the paperwork will say, like, are you bringing a set? Do you have porta-potties? Are you bringing wild <laughs> yeah. animals, pyrotechnics? It's, and I'm It's like, all designed for Hollywood, not yeah, a guy is- with a camera guy. This is me and one guy going out mm-hmm. filming. We are not, no, none of this applies yet. I would still have to pay $220 a day for 10 days. Got over two grand stuck into film permits. Plus they'd make me have, and I still have to do it, a million dollars of extra liability on top of what I have. And wow. all those things, not only is it like time consuming to do, but it's expensive. And I think sometimes, you know, I hope that they get to the point where it is black and white because I don't like living in a gray area. Um, I just I don't want any part of it. Um, I'm going to do this stuff. But I just wish that they would get so people could understand that, you know, doing DIY and doing public land is awesome. But when you're a camera person, you got a full TV show. It's a lot, a lot of challenges in that um, that people don't think of and a lot of costs. Yeah. And I have friends good friends in the industry that have been bit hard by this stuff and then you it's just so unfair because then you see like youtube videos of like kayakers or like mountain bikers or whatever or just like hikers that are in these same areas no one says anything to them Uh, but again it just they pick certain people and they just slam the book down on you in the moment you have a television show normally all that changes yeah (laughs) So, um, yeah. So right now I'm just kind of, um, I'm just, I'm on a wing and a prayer right now, Melissa. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Not, not that much, but yeah, that is a, that is a really, uh, touchy spot, but, um, I keep hoping that they're going to keep fighting for it and push it through the courts and, and just get it removed altogether. I mean, maybe I'll be the guy that gets sued. 
we pay for that land. I would just love to see it yeah. being used. You bought the tag. You're in there during the correct seasons. In my mm -hmm. mind, there's nothing more because what I've tried to explain is there's nothing guaranteeing I'm going to get a television show, right? Yeah. So I go in for 10 days and I don't get a show. I didn't make any money, but I still owe you all that money. It seems crazy. Yeah. Not to mention, I mean, you're giving publicity to an area and an activity that brings in tons of revenue for these game and fish services, probably pays the people's salaries. So, um, at the end yeah, of the day, all you can do is hopefully there's enough people pushing and making people aware that it's even out there. Um, yeah. And so hopefully it'll kind of go away eventually. Yeah. Yeah. So hopefully so. Like I said, maybe maybe I'll be the one that uh, gets sued and take it all the way up to the Supreme Court or something. <laughs> I hope you don't. But no, me either. Might need to. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, so, yeah. How do you um, how do you balance all this stuff with having a family? Because I got uh, two young kids, third one on the way. And, um, you know, I want to get them involved and, you know, I, right now kind of how I'm doing it is just, you know, how I worked out with my wife is, you know, yes, I have to travel pretty good amount, but when I am home, I try to be as involved as I can being that I work from home still is a lot of work, but I, you know, try my best to, you know, take the kids to school, pick them up from school and, you know, really cut it off at five o'clock and be there, you know, for dinner time and, and that kind of stuff. So, but how do you kind of balance it with, with uh, your family and whatnot? The best thing that we've done is we all enjoy the same stuff, right? So like I have an episode airing this week. That's my favorite episode I've ever done. Our little boy, Jax was three and a half. When he turned three, he only had two goals. He wanted to <laughs> play baseball and he wanted to shoot a turkey. Nice. And we said, we're going to make that happen. So we took him to Nebraska and had the best turkey hunt I've ever, ever done. Um, we got him a little 410. It's a little old Winchester. It was in a guy's nice. safe for 30 years. Oh, cool. And he sold it to me and he said, I don't even know if it shoots because I don't have any ammo, but best of luck. And I yeah. said, I'll take that risk. It was all just perfectly oiled up. We got it and it was a little long for him because obviously when you're three, it's not, <laughs> he's pretty yeah. small. I mean, so we just went young. to the lumber yard and sawed off the stock <laughs> and, and fixed it. And it's the best little youth gun. And we worked with him for months, um, getting him ready for it. And it was the coolest thing I've ever seen. So one of the things we do to balance stuff is try to bring kids and family along, right? Yeah. My husband will even look through my hunts and say, you know, that looks fun. That looks fun. Let's do these together. And for me, it's nice because when I've been traveling a bunch, it's nice to have one that's more, you know, where your husband is along and it's just more of a fun trip. And, um, you know, and we're lucky because we have um, his mom and dad live here in town. My mom and dad nice. live in Minnesota. So we have kind of that support system for the other kids. Um, if we didn't have that, it would be really, really challenging. So that's something that you learn from. And, you know, I love being able to be at activities when I'm home, but I do still miss a lot. So yeah. like you said, you just try to be as present as you can when you are around and, you know, try to, you got to make a living too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I was talking to my friend Brian about this and we were in Mexico and, and like, I don't want to get too wrapped up in like the gender side of things, but just cause I know you're woman, but at the same time we were talking about how, um, for pretty much most of human history, like the men would leave for extended periods of time, whether that be for uh war or going on some, you know, excursion to, you know, whatever. It's just, um, it's, kind of this idea of like um going and returning um 
and not not that it has to be men, but um, is something that humans have done for a long time, and I don't think it's necessarily something you have to be afraid of or shy away from. Like you don't literally have to be like you can still be a good dad and still travel quite you know quite frequently. It's it's fairly normal, you know. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and I think that people it, it does need to be normalized a little bit that you know we all have to work, right? We have to yeah. make a living for our families. That's done different ways. Um, but I think that sometimes if you do it right, you can build stronger relationships out yeah, of it. For sure. Um, but I think you have to be very careful and both people have to be on the same page. You have to be open about like what's working, what's not working and make changes as you go. Because yeah. there's not a like a one size fits all that's like, here's right. the solution to being on the road and, and having a family. It doesn't work that way. Right. You got to see what works, what doesn't work, you know, time of the year. And then being like supportive when I come home, you know, like, mm-hmm. okay, you can go out thermal and, you know, a bunch of nights in a row. And it, it's just nice to have a balance <laughs> there where yeah. everybody kind of can benefit it, or everyone can take part in it. Um, because I think sometimes it can become one-sided where if someone at home doesn't feel like they're, you know, being valued as much or things like that, that's where a lot of the problems can come in, but it does take all that. I mean, every inch of my success goes back to everybody around me for being able to make that happen. hundred percent. And that was another thing that Brian was saying is like, you said, normalize, He says, like, the biggest thing that he does is, like, he doesn't make it some big, giant, like, farewell, goodbye, like, I'm leaving, you know, like, it's just more kind of like, okay, I'm leaving, you know, see you guys soon, and, like, not make as big a deal about it with kids, because then they're kind of like, yeah, okay, because I think I kind of did that too much when I first started off with my son, he was very attached to me, he still is, but, um, you know, I'd, I'd kind of make this giant kind of big deal about it, not, like, crazy, but you know what I mean, and now I just kind of like, hey, daddy's got a trip. I'll be back, you know, don't worry, be a good boy. And it's kind of, let's just make it normal, you know? And it takes a while, you know, and it's hard, you know, you miss things and they, they at different ages, it's different stages, you know? And I mean, Jax was little and he'd just pull on my heartstrings and just cry and cry. And, you know, that's hard. It's hard. Um, but then it goes away, you know, and, and sometimes you're like, gosh, is that bad? Like that, I know. even God. it's not, you know, it's not a big crying fest. No, that's what you want, you know, and, and the teaching them to be independent. And, and I yeah. think that's some of the benefits too, is sometimes everybody can benefit from it, being more independent and knowing that they can do all those different things as needed. Doesn't mean we want to, we all want to be together as a family, but you can do those if needed. Yeah. Yeah. Like my last trip, I was in Mexico for like 10 days and then I had to go to the expo, but there was like three or four days between and it didn't like I talked to my wife. It didn't make any sense to like fly all the way home and fly all the way back and then do it again. And like and so I was gone for like three weeks. And it was like that. Was, I felt I was like I felt like I was like I am a bad I am a bad father. <laughs> so I'm never leaving for that long again if I can help it. But um, it is tough. But you know you you have to there there are sacrifices there are price to be paid if you wanna if you wanna live uh, you know. Because at the same time, there's just as many sacrifices if you want to do a, which to me, I'm not hating on anybody else, but to me, which would be like a horrible existence of like commuting to an office every day and sitting in a cubicle all day. Like I would, I feel like I would be a worse father because I would just be depressed all the time and just, you know, so I think it's better for me. It's just, there's, you know, there's trade-offs and sacrifices, so. Absolutely. Every single thing has different trade-off sacrifices. You just got to figure out what's best for you, for the family, and, and make 
make it work in between then. And honestly, technology has made a huge help, right? We have mm-hmm. FaceTime now. You can FaceTime and see your kids and talk to them. We have, you know, when I'm out in the back country, my husband and I did a brown bear hunt and we're out for two and a half weeks. We were still able to check in with the kids every day. You know, yeah. um, those things are huge. Like before you just disappear for three weeks, you know, yeah, you're just gone. Right. And you hope for the best that when you come out, there isn't like a note with some sort of emergency that you missed. So <laughs> yeah. I think that there's a lot of benefits to, to doing that type of lifestyle now with the technology we have. Yeah. Is that the one where your husband shot the grizzly at like five yards of the bow? Yeah. That yeah, was sweet. Four and a half yards. It was phenomenal. It was Dude, like the crazy. coolest thing ever. It was. That's got to be some adrenaline. True. Talk about some adrenaline. Um, okay. Well, I don't want to take up too much of your time. Uh, I know we're both busy folks. So, but just real quick, do you have any uh, cool adventures lined up this year? Um, yeah. We got quite a few neat things. I'm still waiting to see on tags as to sure. what we draw. And usually what I'll do is I'll wait and then kind of fill in the things. But um, we did a, a phenomenal mule deer hunt last year. Um, mm. over Thanksgiving. That was a mule deer and whitetail up in Alberta. And it was cool. probably the best quality muleys I've ever seen in my life wow. um, and best quality whitetails all in one spot. So this year we're breaking that up and we're going to do, my husband and I will do archery spot and stock for muleys in the early season and then come late season for whitetails. But I think nice. in the same week I got like 165 inch whitetail and 185 inch muley. Oh, I man. mean, it was just awesome. amazing. And that was kind of on the low end of what the guy wanted me to shoot. So I was like, <laughs> Okay, I will be back <laughs> this year and every year for 10 years. <laughs> oh, for sure. But, yeah, so there's a ton of great trips coming up. Okay. Hey, what are you most, is that the one you're most excited about, you think? Um, yeah, as of right now, until I know yeah, what I else, sure. what other tags I draw. Sure, so. sure. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, um, this has been really fun talking to you. I appreciate it. I appreciate your time. Well, thank you for having me on. I sure appreciate it. And if you guys ever need anything or have any questions, yeah. I'm always here to help. Thank you. So where can folks see your show and check out what you got going on? So my show airs on Sportsman's Channel. It's on about five, six times a week. It's uh, The main airing is Sunday mornings at 1130 Eastern Time. Um, And then you can just go to MelissaBachman.com and find everything else from there. All the different social things are listed on there. Cool. Yeah, guys, definitely check her out. She's got some really cool stuff and years of what you're on season 12 now. 13. 13. Wow. So cool. Well, thanks again for your time. It was great. Great chatting with you. Okay, thank you. Appreciate it.